This is the No Future Podcast, a sophisticated podcast about foreign films for people who are described as witty instead of funny. I'm David White, and this is the history part of our Wild Strawberries podcast with Kate Lindsay and Dustin Molina. And in this episode, we learn about a Swedish film pioneer and celebrate Dog and Age. a whole tangent about the Swedish film industry in Victor Furstrom that you guys are going to love. Okay. I mean, Ready? I, I'll go for it. All right. I just watched Mank. I'm into the old, oh, old man. production Good. world. Good. I did not care but for that movie, but I'm, I'm sure this is going to be great. This is going to be so much better than Mank. I promise yeah. you. So, uh, the first Swedish film company, Svenska Biografitern, which is, I pronounce that flawlessly. And a lot of Swedish people are going to say I did it wrong, but I didn't. That's how you say it. That's the core demographic of this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is for this episode. We're giving them one for them. It's founded in 1907. It's like a, a small theater chain in southern Sweden. And in 1909, they start making their own movies for the local Swedish market. And at the time, Pathé Friar, the french film company was the biggest film distributor in the world and in 1906 they had offices in russia western europe and the u.s and in 1907 they had monopolized film distribution in central europe and to every colonized area of india southeast asia central and south america and africa and in 1908 they invented the newsreel so um pathai was a big deal and in 1910, they opened a branch in Stockholm. And they started looking for local companies to partner with. And they helped finance a new studio for that company, Svenska Bio, and agreed to train a few of its newest directors, which included future superstar Swedish directors, Moritz Stiller and Victor Furstrom. Pathé starts distributing Svenska Bio movies around the world. And in 1914, World War I starts, which grinds all European film industries to a halt, except for countries that aren't fighting in World War I, like Sweden and the United States. (laughs) And from 1915 to 1918, 80% of Svenska biofilms were being sent abroad. So... It was a huge export uh, market for them. Uh, Germany, Austria-Hungary, Russia were the biggest consumers. And meanwhile, Victor Furstrom and Maurice Stiller, they're cranking out movies. They make 64 films combined from 1912 to 1917. So they're both making like five movies a year. And Victor Furstrom would also often act in his own movies too. And in 1917, he directs Tario Vegan, another fall is pronunciation, uh, which kicks off what's later known as the golden age of Swedish cinema. It's a critical and commercial hit that inspired the head of Svenska Bio to basically stop making five movies a year from directors, like radically reduce the amount of movies they made to make a bunch, like a handful of much higher quality, bigger budgeted movies. 
and this kicks off the golden age of Sweden, Swedish cinema, which lasts from 1917 to 1924, where Stiller and Furström develop a Swedish style. So it's a lot of exotic natural landscapes, very subdued acting, ambiguous plots, and like very high technical skills. And that hits its peak with Furstrom's film The Phantom Carriage in 1921. And their movies are being exported from the U.S. to Egypt to Brazil and Japan. Like, I saw this great story about them screening The Phantom Carriage in Japan, and they would just have two people standing in front of the screen just, like, interpreting the movie for the people in the audience. (laughs) So they would be like... They wouldn't replace the Swedish title cards. They would just be like, that means this. And just yell (laughs) at people. And... Which is like a really, it's a funny way to do it, but it like, it works because then they can just say whatever they want to make it appeal to the local audience. You know, it's not, I, they were not translating word for word what it was saying. They were just making their own movie from it. And in 1919, the company Svenska Bio merges with its biggest competitor to become Svenska Film Industry or SF when it has a monopoly over all Swedish films. Because it's, I mean, it's literally called Swedish film industry. So it's it. That's, this is the one company. And this move is supposed to help Sweden compete with the growing power of Hollywood. And it doesn't work. And the combination of the growth of Hollywood, the post-war recovery of other European film industries, and the goddamn talkie, um all like radically reduce like the market for Swedish films and the two big directors Stiller and Furstrom leave for Hollywood so Stiller uh, goes to Hollywood with a new actress that he recently discovered uh, named Greta Garbo and MGM poaches Furstrom and he ends up directing the first film that MGM ever produced uh, and it's called He Who Gets Slapped, which is a great name for a movie. And I did look <laughs> up the poster, and it is a terrifying poster of a sad clown. Um, and it's, it's based on a Russian play, and it seems dark. <laughs> um, but the movie was a hit, and he goes on and makes a handful of hits for MGM. But he has a hard time adjusting to making sound films. So he goes back to Sweden in the 30s, where he returns to acting and theater and film. And the film industry in Sweden hits like rock bottom as an industry in the 30s. And in 1942, a man named Carl Anders Daimling is appointed as president of Svenska Film Industry. And one of the first things he does is bring Victor Furstrom uh, in as the artistic director. So Furstrom's back, baby. And uh, Daimling also recruits uh, Imar Bergman SF and Daimling and Furstrom oversee Torment, which was Bergman's first screenplay. Daimling and Furstrom also help oversee the recovery of the Swedish film industry during the 40s, which, you know, also happens to be exactly when World War II is going on, and also (laughs) Sweden's not fighting in that one either. So they kind of have this great, um, you know, recovery method for (laughs) their film industry. They've kind of figured it out. And in 1957, Bergman writes Wild Strawberries, and Daimling and him 
agree to cast Furstrom in the main role. He's 78 at this point, and he has a number of health issues. And Dimewing tells him, basically, don't worry, alright? All you'll do is sit under a tree and eat strawberries. It'll be fine. <laughs> and it turns out that it's way more difficult to make a movie. And, like, for instance, he, like, Furstrom would forget a lot of his lines. Um, mm -hmm. And, yeah, he'd become really frustrated, and he would, like, get really angry on set. And Bergman had to get one of the actresses, Ingrid Thulin, who plays his daughter-in-law, to volunteer to take the blame anytime anything goes wrong. Just so he wouldn't get embarrassed, basically. They also had to change the shooting schedule to make sure that Firstrum was home in time to have his 5 p.m. whiskey. And that was like his <laughs> one big demand that he made when he j signed up. It's a good flex. It's a great flex. And I saw in an interview with Dick Cavett in 1971, Bergman said that the close-up of Firstrum at the very end of the movie was like what he considered one of the most beautiful close-ups he's ever shot. And at the time, Firstrum was really angry because he had to stay late after his whiskey time because they needed the right light and so him being angry and lashing out made everybody on set angry and <laughs> he was being very ornery and then they just rolled and you know he just dropped everything and got right into character and they made what Bergman considers this perfect shot and after they finish he passes away three years later after filming this movie in 1960 and that's I have the, a theory. Okay, go for it. Mm -hmm. So, you know how the Swedish film industry it keeps like miraculously booming during mm -hmm. wars when all other countries are occupied. Right. Do you think that's why they were trying to do the herd immunity thing for coronavirus? Because they were like, okay, this is great. This will shut down everyone else, and we will once again, Sweden, mm -hmm. be the lead of the film industry. Yeah, I don't trust anything that Sweden says now. I don't trust anything now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we got to check their box office, and if it's <laughs> if it's not doing well, don't trust those guys. Um, Another thing mm -hmm. that I wanted to add from it's not Sweden related, but it is a uh, Pathé related. Mm -hmm. That it's important that everyone knows they go on to release Chicken Run. Mm -hmm. Oh yes, and all the Wallace and Gromit. Yeah, they, um, I was going to make a great joke about how they're, and look, that company that invented the newsreel is now the distributors of, like, Kingsman 2 or something. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was looking, I was like, man, they just have, like, the French rights to all these movies. They're not, like, a lot right, of times, right. like, damn it, the joke isn't quite as clean. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the company that has the little rooster and the exclamation point at the end yeah. turns out okay, yes, that one. was the biggest company in the world in 1906 um, <laughs> and uh, helped kickstart the film industry in all these other countries yeah that was the tangent guys here are the two other thoughts I had watching this movie uh, one is that they are driving on the left side of the road which mm. like I remember thinking that's weird i thought every country besides like the england and like japan right. like british colonies drove on the right and sweden today does drive on the right side of the road and i was mm -hmm. looking at it like wait did so they switched and they did <laughs> they switched the day after they switched 
How many car accidents do you so think? So that is what I'm going to. So I looked, I got, I got into a rabbit hole about like, why do they switch? So every country around Sweden drove on the right side of the road. So they're like, this is ridiculous that we're driving yeah. on the left. Because if you drive to Norway or Finland or any other country, you have to switch the side of the road mm-hmm. you're driving on. So in 1967, they had dog and H, which means H day, which is the switch day. And they had this huge, like, public campaign to be like, okay, New Year's Day, 1967. We are switching the side of the road. Is everyone aware of this? And um, they had a song contest to be the song of H-Day. And I looked it up, and the winner of the song was called keep to the right Svensson <laughs> <laughs> and yeah there's some great pictures of traffic on H day of, of all the cars everywhere on the road no one knows what's happening <laughs> um, so yeah that, that was a fun fun little discovery that's such in this a movie. funny like, like consequential but inconsequential thing that requires so much effort mm-hmm. and so there's yeah. a wait I gotta look up the exact thing because on Wikipedia it like let me see exactly what it says. Oh yeah, so on the Wikipedia page for H Day, Dog and H, um, it says that <laughs> this is by far the largest logistical event in Sweden's yeah. history. So yes. like, I think part of that is because they did sit out all these world wars. I think yeah. that probably <laughs> probably like lowered yeah, yeah, yeah. it like lowered the bar for like how big logistical events are we even doing <laughs> yeah. but anyway that was no, I mean, a- it would, i'm just trying to think like of something like if we were like i'm trying to think of a similar switch that we could if we do went here, to like, the metric system right that's oh, like yeah. the thing it's just like now and like just the chaos it would but cause. If, like yeah, if if somehow going to the metric system would cause people to potentially hit each other in cars, <laughs> yeah. which I, you know, I don't think it would. If we start putting uh, speeds in kilometers, and all of a sudden people are like, well, I'm going to go 120 miles. Oh my an god! Hour. I, so when I drove to, I went on a road trip to Toronto when I went to school in Ohio. So it was actually like only like a six-hour drive. But the moment we crossed over. And all like the the speed limit just started to be in kilometers, and we were like, "Well, we have no idea how the like what the speed is and how mm-hmm. fast we're going because we're in a car that's miles per hour." It was really terrifying. Figured it out though. I'm here now. <laughs> Good. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please tell everyone you love about it. We're on Instagram and Twitter at NoFutureNYC. And you can email us with questions or comments or compliments to nofuturemailbag at gmail.com. I, I miss you already. <laughs>